So we're just, um, we're just ready to start. If you're able to take your seats and uh, hopefully catch up with your conversations afterwards. Before we start, I would, um, I would just like to pray for Fresh Start and I'd also like to pray for Mark as he speaks to us this morning. Father God, we thank you for what we've heard about Fresh Start. We thank you for the people who have been set free. We thank you for the course and the material, but um, we thank you for also for those wonderful words that if the sun sets you free, then you are really free. And Father God, that is our heart's desire, that there may be people who will come forward to help with this course and people who will come on the course, many, many people, we pray that they may almost be overwhelmed with people who want to be set free from addictions. Father, work in our community and, and set people free, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Father, we, we thank you for Mark. It's, it's really great to see him up here. And um, you know his heart, his heart is for the gospel, his heart is for the church. And I know that... This is a heart that, that, that beats excitedly with, when it, when it um, comes in contact with your word. So, Father, bless Mark and just pray that you'll speak through him. You'll just pray that he'll hear your words and, and you'll make this word powerful, that it will speak to us this morning. We're just not here to, to hear a, a cosy sort of sermon, Father God. We're here because we want you to speak into our hearts and to challenge us, whatever, Father, do it by your Holy Spirit. You, 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 you're God, you're in charge, and we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Bless you, man. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, good morning. Um, mental note to self, never ask Anthony to read anything verbatim. <laughs> so, thank you. Um, anyway, new repoint. So, I'm going to share this morning about some stories around Easter, I'm not going to talk about the, the story that you might be familiar with. I'm going to talk underneath that story about what Easter means. Uh, and some of them are personal and some of them are stories about other people. Uh, because what I want to do is I want to leave you with something uh, today that you can, you can dwell on and you can think about. And as you will hear the Easter story, the traditional Easter story over the next few weeks, it will resonate and it will be something that you can get hold of. Um, and God willing, he may do more than that as well. Um, oh yes, I have to click it as well. It's, I can click this, but I have to do two things. That's no good, is it? I'm not very good at multitasking. A, a traditional um, symbolic picture, atmospheric picture that we might associate with Easter. Three crosses on the hill. So about as far as I'm going to get with the story of Easter is that we, we know that Jesus Christ was crucified after an illegal trial, he'd done nothing wrong, and he was, he was crucified alongside two thieves. Crucifixion was, it was bloody, it was awful, but he wasn't the only one who was crucified. There were tens of thousands of people who were crucified in that hideous method by the Romans. That wasn't what made it special. What made it special was who he was and what happened. And so we're going to kind of go underneath that a bit today. And... And I put that picture up because Easter's, I've done some kind of, well, you know, some of you know me probably think it's pretty typical. I've done some fairly wacky things around Easter. And, and some of them are about trying to 
experience something. I'm just being open with you. So I remember when I, I was brought up in Guildford, um, and when I was still searching for God, I would say at that point, I didn't really have what you might say faith, but I was seeking God. And they had a, an early morning service up on Newlands Corner, which is where the South Downs meet Guildford. And I went up there on a Sunday morning, early Easter Sunday, and I was kind of looking to experience something. I wanted to experience something of God because of, if you like, the symbolism of Easter. And it didn't quite work the way I thought. There was another time, uh, three, two friends of mine, when I was living up in Manchester, I was about 25, 24, I think, at the time, we decided to carry a cross, bigger than that one, all the way from Lee in Lancashire all the way to London. My wife's smiling at me because she knows it's true. We carried it all the way down the M6 and we arrived in London on, um, on Good Friday because we wanted, you know, Easter was symbolic. We wanted to be, and it was an act of witness that we, um, there's lots of stories around that, but I'm not going there. Um, there was another, there's another um, Easter again before I really found God, but I spent, I remember spending Easter Sunday just reading and reading and reading the Easter stories because I knew there was something in it and I was trying to find what was in it for me. So there is, there's something about Easter, which of course, as a Christian, in, in a way, it's, it's even more symbolic than Christmas, because this is the heart of the gospel. Um, forgive this one, but there is a quote here, um, Rudyard Kipling, um, I keep sin six honest serving men, they taught me all I knew, their names are who and why and when, and how and where and who. Um, that's what we want to find out, isn't it? We know the story, we know the history of what happened at Easter, but the question is why and what. Um, if you want to read about the history, then you look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But if you want to know, well, what actually does it mean for you and for me, you probably need to go somewhere else. And I'm going to look in the book of Romans. Um, some of you who've been in churches a long time know that you can study the, the book of Romans for years. Well, you probably could study it continuously for years. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take a few verses out because I want to get underneath that what did Easter mean? And more importantly, what does it mean? What did it mean? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? Um, Romans is a fascinating book because it's the only, uh, as far as I understand it, it's the only church that Paul wrote to that he didn't found. So he wasn't the founder of the church. He was writing to a group of people who he didn't know. And we'll pick up on that later. Um, the other thing about the Romans, it was a mixed church. So there were Gentiles there, that's people who were non-Jews, and there were Jews there. There was a kind of mixture of both. And like most churches at that time, uh, sort of 30, 40 years after Jesus had died and re resurrected, there was quite a bit of tension between the, the Jews and the Gentiles about what Christianity meant. And so the kind of understanding is that there were probably three reasons why Paul wrote this book. The first one was that he, was, he wanted to go on a missionary journey to Spain and Rome was a kind of calling point. He wanted to introduce himself so that they could maybe send him out. The second one is he probably wanted to speak into this situation between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the third one, which I think is where we are today, is he wanted to set out... His, his faith, his gospel, and he uses that term. Paul was setting out to these people that he didn't know, this 
is what I believe. If you like, this is who I am. So it's a really useful point for us to understand what is it that Paul had in mind when he talked about the gospel. Um, I'm talking about the first part of Romans, really. Once you get to Romans chapter 12, it's more about how you live it out. And that's a fantastic thing. There's no way we're going to cover that um, today. So, um, so Paul starts off his gospel, his, his epistle to the Romans, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. He's brought it in already. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. So I've got three things that I want to link into the Easter story today. They're righteousness, gift, and faith. Now, I don't know how you were brought up. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, but because of the time I was brought up, yes, it was the last century, um, I used to go to Sunday school before I rebelled and stopped going. And, and I remember having this hymn which talked about something about the son of righteousness risen with healing in his wings. And I could never pronounce that, so I called it the son of rhinoceros uh, because it kind of made sense as about a five-year-old or as much sense as righteousness did. What does that word mean? It's one of those words that we lob out there, righteousness. What, what does it mean? Well, I suppose I want to put it simply. It means that by God's standard, if you like, we've met God's standard. By God's standard, we are accepted. We can make all sorts of complications around it, but that's what I want to start from today. When we talk about righteousness, what we're saying is it's acceptable to God. I'm sure none of you have ever been in a situation where you're driving down a nice straight road, it's clear, beautiful sunshine, and there's a, there's a policeman there with his little radar thing, and it's in a 50 mile an hour limit, and you're doing 49 miles an hour. You, don't, you, don't, you never feel righteous about that, do you? You never feel self-righteous about the fact that, you know, you're, you're in, you're in. Or if you've ever travelled some of the places I've travelled to, where crossing borders it's a really difficult, some parts of the world where you go, and you come back to Heathrow, not when it's busy, but you come back in and you wave your little passport and you just go straight through. You know, righteousness has that sense, of, it, it means it being accepted by God's standard. Righteousness is I'm accepted by God's standard. Um, so, Paul starts off writing to these people, and it's really kind of encouraging. And we might want to remember this as we get in a couple of minutes when I talk about what he says next. You know, I want to give you some gift. I want to talk to you about the righteousness of God. I want to talk about the power of God for salvation. And then he goes here. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, envy, strife, deceit, malice, arrogance, boastful. They have no understanding, fidelity, love or mercy. He doesn't even know them. <laughs> he doesn't even know them. That's like, that's like his second paragraph. What's he trying to get? What's he getting at? 
you see where I'm going? He's, he's launched into this statement about humanity. And one of the things that's important about the book of Romans is the sequence in the way that Paul tells things. Because when we want to understand about Easter, we do need to understand something about the sequence in the way that God may speak to us about Easter. But let's, um, let's look at this, because when we read the Bible, we, we really do have a challenge about... Um, uh, I'm not looking at Graham, not where Graham is. We're doing a foundations course, and this is one of the things they teach you, and it's absolutely right, that when you look at the Bible, you need to understand what did it say then? What did it say when it was written, and what does it say today? And there are some parts of the Bible, frankly, when you look at it and you think, I'm not quite sure what it said then or what it meant then. So it's really hard to work out whether it applies today. But when we look at this, this, this travels very well. When you look at this statement, the statement about, if you like, the folly of humanity, when it talks about evil, greed, envy, strife, deceit, malice, arrogance, boastful. You've never seen that, have you? Eh? Never seen any of that, have you? That just stay way back 2,000 years ago. This is applicable today. This is, this is part of the gospel that Paul was preaching to the Romans is absolutely applicable to us today. Um, it's interesting, uh, just an aside, that I think as churches, we often focus, when we think about sin, and that's just the biblical word used for it, we focus on sexual things. I don't know why, but it feels like when people think of sin, they think of things that are to do with sexuality. When you look at this, uh, well, I'll say it anyway. Some of these are middle-class sins. Yeah? Deceit, malice, arrogance, boastful. No, that's just being confident. That's just being, you know, that's being sure of yourself. Do you see what I mean? We, we create these language which, which kind of makes stuff acceptable. And, and we can make, you know, swearing's really, really bad. But actually, arrogance and deceit is kind of okay, as long as you do it in a business context. Um, Sorry, but I'm being real, because the gospel's real. The gospel kind of gets to our hearts. Um, I heard a word on the radio the other day, whataboutism. Have you ever heard that? <coughs> whataboutism. It's a great term. Um, it's even got a Latin word, if I can pronounce it. Um, tu quo quo, it means. Basically, what it means is, you asked me, I'm looking at Sean. Sean's asked me a question that says, Mark... Um, Mark, you were speeding in the car, I saw you yesterday. And I go, Sean, I don't like the way you've cut your hair. Yeah? <laughs> Sorry, Sean. <laughs> That's one of those things you'd never be spontaneous. Um, the, the, the point is, what about is when someone lays a challenge to our lives, we deflect it. We say, I don't want to hear that, I'm going to talk about something else. That, that happens about the church. People say... Well, when you preach the gospel, someone says, well, what about Israel? What about the Old Testament? What about this? What about what happened then? What aboutism is a, tri a trick that we use to deflect when God is speaking to us? What about this? God, what about that? It's just something to be aware of. Um, a trick that we do almost unconsciously when we get challenged. We, ask, we, we don't answer the question. We throw another question back. Um, Politicians are good at it, but I won't say any more. Um, and as this is going on, the church in Rome is, remember it's got the Jews and it's got the, the Gentiles, and the world's split up. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. 
And when this letter would have arisen, it would have been probably come as a parchment or a scroll, and usually it would have been read out. And I can imagine that as this is happening, those good religious Jews, you know, they'll be sitting there, and as this stuff is going on about, you know, deceit, malice, arrogance, they'll be going, Amen, brother. Yes, say it. Yes, amen. You know, go for it. The religious ones will be standing there supporting this. And then Paul turns on them. He says, and he's talking to Jews, he said, You therefore, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. You who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach. Hello, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you sh should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Paul has basically taken the congregation and he's got underneath their sense of righteousness. Those who don't have a sort of religion and those who do. For those who don't have a religion, he's been really flat. He said, really straightforward. How are you living? What is your life like? And for those who are religious, he's saying, okay, so what's underneath it? You say the right things. You look like you do the right things. But where are you really? Um, he's taking away the foundations. I remember, um, you know, foundations matter. Unless you've dug those foundations up, you can't really build. One of my first jobs was up in Oldham. I was doing, we were building some playing fields for the Metropolitan Council. It was on a mill site, and in theory, we should have just smoothed it out, put the playing field down, and job done, move on. When we got there, we found there was a massive concrete block. It was about half the size of this stage. It was the engine base for, for the steam engines of the mills. We couldn't do what we needed to do until we'd moved, we'd dug out that foundation. It cost more than the playing field to take that out and take it away. You have to get the foundations right, and Paul is laying a foundation. And this is his conclusion. No one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Remember, he started off by saying, I want to give you a gift. He's not doing well at the moment, is he? Um, but then he says, he follows on by this statement, and this is in Romans 3, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the prophets, uh, the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So Paul is now talking to them about a different kind of righteousness. This is a righteousness which is coming from God. It's not something that you do or I do. It comes from God and it is by faith. Faith is that thing where we have to say, I don't know, I don't understand, but I embrace. <laughs> I don't quite know what it means, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to trust it. Um, I could, um, Paul, I won't go through the detail, but Paul in the book of Romans spends a lot of time, about a chapter, talking about Abraham and making the really clear point that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, which is always identified by by circumcision. That's the mark of being a Jew. And Paul makes this point really clearly that whilst Abraham is associated with that, he's associated with being the father of the nation that was circumcised, his righteousness in the sight of God was way before that. 
is when God said something to him and he just said, I believe it. When God said, you'll be the father of a nation, Abraham said, okay, it's impossible, as we heard earlier, absolutely impossible, but I, I accept it. Faith, when we talk about righteousness, when we talk about Easter, we are approaching that from the position of faith. Um, I want to just take a little few minutes to tell a, another story. Um, on Wednesday, Tuesday evening, we had a prayer meeting here. And we, um, as we were praying, this word, this verse came to me. And it was, uh, it was this verse. Uh, no, not that one. That one. Uh, Luke uh, 13. Jerusalem, this is, so Jesus is standing over the city of Jerusalem and he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Um, and I thought about this verse because I remember speaking on this verse in about 1989 in Uganda. A little bit of a story. Um, I went to see a pastor out there um, Sam Assisi, and Sam said to me, he said, Brother Mark, you're going to preach. I said, okay, fine, I'm going to go and preach. And he took us out into the bush, um, and we went into this place, and he said, Brother Mark, you're going to preach here. I said, but Sam, there's no people. It's like, there's nobody there. It was just like, I said, like, how can I preach to no people? Um, at the time, we used to do open air um, preaching in Manchester, in Longsight, and I used to do a bit in, in Bramall where I lived, and my experience of open-air preaching is you have a whole crowd of people in the market, and as soon as you start to speak, you create a void. Everybody like moves back, you know. So I was quite comfortable with doing that. Well, I wasn't comfortable with preaching to no one. Um, but anyway, as, the, as the, the ladies in church started to sing, all these people started to appear. They're like, it's almost like they came out of the quite tall grass and round trees and people just appeared and we had a crowd um, and I preached on this verse that's, what, that's the connection but the thing for me is that I didn't realise until I looked into it this week, this verse Jesus said this after he has been speaking to the Pharisees and we haven't got time to go through all of that but Jesus was really strong in challenging the Pharisees, the Pharisees were religious people and basically he said to them, he said, you focus on what you want, not on God. You focus on what it looks like. You focus on the outward, not on the inward. You go after tithing, you after things are visible, but what you've neglected is righteousness, justice and mercy. Jesus absolutely laid in to these religious people. And then he said this. Do you see the connection? The connection was they thought their righteousness was enough. They thought that because they followed the law, they, were, they didn't need Jesus Christ. They were not willing to come. And I love this picture of Christ the, Christ the Redeemer over Rio de Janeiro. This is the picture. Jesus Christ saying, I want to gather you up. I want you to come in. I want you to come in. But they wouldn't come because they didn't think they needed him. Because they thought their righteousness was sufficient. That's why Paul had to tear up the foundations to the Romans and make them understand before he could talk about God's righteousness that their own righteousness was inadequate. It doesn't matter how good your upbringing is, how Christian your upbringing is, your righteousness is inadequate to meet God's standard. 
I'm sorry, but it is. So where do I go now? I go to the Easter story. Paul writing to the Romans. You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Since we have now been justified by his blood, when you think about Easter, this is what we're thinking about, when we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We started off with God's wrath. That's where we started. He's now brought it back and said, now you're going to be saved from that through him. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When we think about Easter, that's where my heart says, that's where I want you to go. That's where I want to go. That Christ died for me when I didn't care about him. He still dies for me today, if you like. He died for me where I am now, today. Um, let me, uh, and I want to tell you in the few minutes I've got, I want to tell you my own story as well. And this, this verse uh, is a powerful one to me. Romans 5, verse 10. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Um, I said to you at the beginning that I went up to Newlands Corner because I wanted to experience something about what Easter meant. Intuitively, I understood that Easter was the heart of the gospel. And I can remember, and I don't say this to be proud, I say this as it is, I can remember, I think I was about 22, and um, it was a Sunday morning, a bit like this, except it was in Manchester and it was raining, uh, and um, someone was preaching, they were preaching on Romans chapter 6, and I remember getting up to the front, uh, and walking up to the front, and I'm in tears. Now if you're a 22 year old male, that's not good. Trust me, that's not a good place to be. Because, and I'm there because for years, probably two or three years, I have been desperate to understand how can I be right with God? What is it that I need to do to be right with God? And I'm finding myself responding. It's almost as if I'm dragged up to the front. And I'm on the ground weeping. And then I'm laughing. Literally, I, I know, I'm, told, I'm weeping. And the next minute I'm laughing. Because somehow in my thick skull, I have understood that I was made righteous by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. For me, that was transformational. I remember going to my, I was, um, that's when I was at university, I went home three or four weeks later to see my mum, and my mum, you know, the way that mums do in that kind of accusatory way, you've changed, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but I had, because it was transformational, because something had happened, that I'd understood something that you guys, you may have all got. You may have got it the first time you heard it. I didn't get it the first time I heard it. But I had this real sense, and I can remember this, that somehow I had been made righteous. I can remember thinking, it's like I'd been given a gift of righteousness. And then I read in Romans, I read in Romans, it talks about a gift of righteousness. My experience aligned with what the Bible said. I'm closing now. When we think about Easter, 
What are we talking about? We're talking about a God who has declared and has given us the gift of righteousness. And I'm emphasizing that this morning. It's the gift of righteousness that we receive by faith. And the reason I emphasize it, because our natural disposition as people is to move away from that, and in our heads we start to think that we are justified by what we do. You know, the Jewish people, put their, they were associated, understood, I hope I get this right, I hope I don't offend anyone, but their kind of mark of being Jewish was being circumcised. And for many people, they look at the church and say, well, you're a Christian because you go to church. I am not a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I've received the gift of righteousness. As a result of that, I go to church. Now, you may not have done that and you're here this morning. Fantastic. That's wonderful. But you see my point. The point I'm making is that Easter is about God giving a gift of righteousness which cost him everything. It cost him the life of his son. It was not a fair exchange. He took the sin of mankind, your rubbish, my rubbish, and there's plenty of it. He took it all. He embraced it all. You can read that in Corinthians. He became so identified with it that when he died, he somehow broke its power and then he rose again to pour out his spirit. And he gave us the gift of righteousness. Am I on the right? Um, that's where I should have been. Sorry. Hope you trust me. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> I remember my final story. Uh, when I was doing a master's degree, I I had to go on a trip to Cyprus for two or three weeks. We were doing a field trip. Um, and I had a friend of mine, a guy called Tor, who was a Norwegian. Um, and he had, he had faith. Uh, but we were talking one evening. Um, we had to share a room. And he said, he said Mark, um, I, can't, I can't be. I can't be good enough for God. I just can't be good enough. And I, he and I had had a number of conversations. And I say this a bit to my shame. I think I was a bit frustrated with him. And I said, Tor, why should you be so special? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, why do you think the gospel should change just for you? I said, for all the rest of us, we come to God on the basis that we have nothing. We come to God on the basis that our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have nothing. Why should God change his gospel for you? And of course, he got it. He understood that God wouldn't change his gospel for him. The problem was, he was like the Pharisees. He was trying to get his righteousness to make him right with God. Righteousness is a gift. Um, now, there's two other things I need to say to qualify. Um, you could say to me, well, as someone did, they said, well, if that's true, let me just go and, let me go and live fast and loose. Let me, just, let me just sin, you know, let me just drink, let me just go crazy, because God will forgive me. Paul answers that really well. That isn't okay, just in case you thought it was. That isn't okay. Um, we are, God has not given us a gift of righteousness so that we can go and do whatever we want to do. God has given us a gift of righteousness so we might live in a way that pleases him. And he's given the gift of his spirit to enable us to do it. 
those are bigger topics, but I just wanted to make that, that point. So, so let me wrap up now. Um, I've talked about the Easter story. Um, I'm going to go back to my picture. When we think of Easter, when we think of and we hear the story, the historical story, if I can be so bold, I want to take you to the place where you think about what that meant for God and what that means for you is you've received a gift of righteousness. When I was struggling to find God, where was the problem? The problem wasn't on God's side. <laughs> the problem was on my side. God didn't need to do anything. The revelation for me was it was already done. When Jesus died on the cross, it was finished. It took me a while to get there, and it took me a while to get there because actually it hurt my pride. Actually, it was quite difficult for me to embrace the fact that God would want everything of me and my righteousness wasn't worth a candle. I'm going to close there. I'm just going to ask if we can, um, we're out of time. I'm just going to ask if you're willing. Can we just stand and pray? Um, if there is anything that God has spoken to you this morning, um, do take the opportunity to come and uh, we can pray for you. But I just want to, I want to pray that God will speak to us. Um, I think we'll probably won't have a song after this, so I'm just going to spend just going to pray, then we'll have a few minutes of, uh, before God, and then Anthony will come and close. Me. Father, I pray that your wonderful grace and love and your spirit, your kindness, your goodness to us, all that you are, Lord, you'll come amongst us, and you'll help us to live in this great understanding, this revelation that our righteousness is your righteousness, that our anything that we have is, is all yours. I pray that you'll come amongst us, Lord, and if we're still struggling to somehow prove that we can be good enough for you, that by your grace you'll, you'll come and break that hold and give us the ability to let go and to trust that your righteousness is sufficient. And Father, if there are things that we're ashamed of, that we, we hold to that faith, we know that we have that faith, but we're struggling with things that we, we want to let go of, as maybe Mark and Ruth were sharing on, Father, give us the grace to, uh, to reach out to you and, and minister to us. Lord, we thank you there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And we pray that, Lord, as you pour out your spirit in us, you would enable us to be an influence in our, in our world where we live today, where there is a need, Lord, for, for truth and justice and, and fidelity and, and integrity. And Father, we pray that you will give us the grace to live this glorious gospel out in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here. Um, God bless your week, and as you work through what we've heard this morning, God will bless you. Please um, help us help to teas, coffees, soft drinks, and uh, if you would like prayer, um, we will be at the front.
to uh, pray for you. God bless you. Thank you.